All right, we're in conversation with Dory Clark, author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. Okay, Dory, we go back a ways. Uh, first of all, congratulations. Look at that. Boom. I, ha I, I have the advanced you know, reader copy you gave me in PDF format, so I can't really show that. But here's the thing, right? You and I go way back, and what I'm thinking about is you, know, you looking ahead to the long game, uh, maybe back when we met at one of the Thinkers 50 in 2017, maybe 2015, I can't remember which one. And here you are uh, today, and, and you're still saying it's a short-term world. So what's so dangerous to one's thinking about a short-term world when, again, when I meet you six or seven years ago, uh, you're already thinking about the long game. So what, what has transpired that you're still insinuating the world's short-term thinking What's the problem there, Dory? You mean so uh, parsing your question, Dan? It's like the the world's short term, except for except for me. Yeah. <laughs> you figured it out. Wow. No, no. I think uh, I think that we all can and should be uh, long term thinkers. And the truth is, I don't think that there's anything wrong with short term thinking. But it, it it to me, it's it's analogous to there's nothing wrong with working like a maniac when you need to work like a maniac. Right. The problem comes when that is literally all you ever do. We need to have different uh, arrows in, in our uh, quiver yeah. and we need to have different tools for different possibilities. And short-term thinking is fantastic when, you know, just for argument's sake, there's a pandemic and you have to pivot quickly and you have to change and throw out every single plan that you had and say, all right, we're going to try something different. That is great. But it's also not really a way to live permanently yeah. because if we never make long-term plans, if we never set intentions or goals that we work toward, things will happen, but it's not entirely clear that they're the things we want to happen. So long-term thinking, I feel like, is a corrective to those things. So I try to aspire toward it. Um, I don't always achieve it, uh, but uh, but I work toward it. And I think that for all of us, it is a muscle that we can strengthen. Well, it's far better than than saying squirrel every five seconds as well, right? Which, you know, at times you do want to look at the squirrel, but not every day. Okay. So you were, you were in the book, you've got all kinds of tactics and techniques and strategies and helpful tips. Uh, I, I'd like to pick up on two of them, and they actually almost um, subliminally actually tie into one another. So the first one was in chapter seven, right people, the right rooms. And you make mention um, of, I guess, our mutual love for Granovetter's paper, The Strength of Weak Ties. And in that, um, I can see Dory all over the place. And here's why. Because you know, the dinners I've been to that you've organized, the virtual events that you've organized just to get people connecting. Like you're a, you're a master of that even before the book came out. So why is it that networking is so critical to get you to be this sort of kind of thinker? And, and you actually go into three types, right? Short-term, long-term, and what I love was infinite horizon. So tell us a little bit why weak ties or networks themselves actually help your, your thinking. Well, ultimately, when it comes to changing the course of your outcomes, other people are one of the biggest factors that attribute to that. Um, if you might have a set of goals or ambitions, and that's shaped by the context around you. 
But if we think about what can actually transform those outcomes, when you meet somebody new, they might introduce you to ideas or information or connections or opportunities or books to read or music to listen to that never otherwise would have crossed your transom. So it opens you up to new possibilities or things that that you not only weren't thinking, you didn't even know that where they were out there to be thinking about. Yeah. Uh, but additionally, of course, as, uh, as Granovetter talked about, we often say, oh, well, I got that through a friend. I met my wife through a friend. I got that job through a friend. More typically, it's actually an acquaintance, mm. meaning it's someone who is outside your circle because when you know them a little bit, but not that well, because they are more likely to be exposed to connections and opportunities that are different than what you already know about. So there's a lot of great reasons why not only is it interesting, but it's also valuable to build connections. Amazing. And you're, you're so... Um vulnerable that like you you open up to certain situations that have allowed you to learn from those networks and even um, gain business uh, which was quite amazing for you to to put that type of personal touch into the manuscript as well so you can tell as a reader going through that you're like oh well Dory's uh Dory's actually using the not just the the prophecy and the suggestions um, to her, uh, you know, growth in personality or growth in kind of market share mindset, but actually to business, uh, which is really comforting to know that you can both grow as a person and, you know, many of us are either entrepreneurs or wanted to grow a career. And there's a few examples in there where you said, hey, actually, it's, it's helped my bottom line, which I think sometimes people are afraid to share, you know, that there's actually a need for um, you know, a paycheck or invoices, right, in order to continue to grow. So I just love that part for, for you. So here's the tie-in uh, to chapter nine, Rethink Failure. And so there's another example where um, through almost autobiographical, you're providing the reader with these insights to some of your failures whether they're manuscripts, right, and so forth. And whoever the famous author was, was kind of interesting. But but. How did you, like, my question for you is, how did you um, overcome, I suppose, those failures? And how's, how's the read, how, how, how can we understand how you went through that during the day? But then to write a book, you have to look back on your experiences, if you're following me, right? So what did you learn? And how did you get to the point of demarcation and say, actually, this is what I've learned. Here's why you need to rethink failure as a strategy to be a long thinker or long time, long-term thinker. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Well, part of what you're alluding to is in uh, one of the chapters of of the long game, I recount basically uh, a kind of play by play of my 2019. So completely untainted by the pandemic, I had five stretch goals for myself, four of which just basically went up in flames. And you know, they weren't even improbable stretch goals. It wasn't like, you know, oh, and I'm gonna, you know, go to the moon with Elon Musk. Um, they were things that they were they were stretched, but they were they were very possible, but they just kept crumbling. And it was at the time, of course, super frustrating that they were not working out. And it it did begin to feel a little Sisyphean that you keep trying these things and it's not working. But I, I think that there's a couple of things that are at play. The first one is I take great comfort in the fact that we have to recognize, and this is a point that Jeffrey Pfeffer makes in his great book, Power, that if you are actually you know, a good, talented person, statistically, 
that will play out and be recognized over time. It is completely possible that in any given situation, you might not be appreciated. You know, your boss might not like you. You might not, you know, the editor might think your writing sucks, whatever it is. But if you actually are good and have talent over time, if you give it enough at bats, statistically, it will work out and other people will see you and will recognize that. So I, I think that we need to just keep picking ourselves up because we have to remember, oh, what I need is at bats in this situation. And so four of the five things didn't work out, but the last one did. And, you know, that was great. And it enables you to keep moving forward. And you, you kind of use language like bets, right? You're kind of placing bets on yourself. And so you're also probably also sublimely telling the reader, right? Don't bet on a single bet. You know, there are more, more options for you, if you will, to be successful if you're aligning yourself to um, multiple options or ideas and kind of irons in the fire, if you will, to use that metaphor. So, so here's, Dory, here's the thing where I notice in, in the chapter nine, the relation back to chapter seven and right people, right rooms, is that you're, you're suggesting in order um, for you to be successful to also tap into that network such that, you know, in failure, you know, you, you might have people almost helping you out along the way. So don't feel so isolated, if you will. So tell me a bit about, maybe it's just me thinking that chapter seven, and certainly the suggestion on the network part, actually finding itself and rethink failure is a cool one. So how, how does the reader then, or how does the listener here um, see that uh, linkage, if you will? Well, I, I think that's a, a great point that you raised, Dan. And it's true, you know, when we are failing, quote unquote, whenever, you know, something we want to do doesn't work out. Of course, it's a very, it's a very dispiriting time. And at a very basic level, it's a time when you can use encouragement and support. So, you know, friends and, and social networks matter a lot in that regard. But also, I am a big fan and, and an advocate of making sure that in addition to having people around us who are just general supporters, you know, the kind of like extended, you know, barbecue friends and family and whatever, that you also need to really make an effort to cultivate a robust professional community of people who are doing similar work to you. And yeah. I, I advise so many people, you know, I run this online course and community called Recognized Expert. And sometimes people come in and they actually have... Uh, meager connections to other practitioners before they join. And they say, well, why would I want to get to know other people who do what I do? I want to get to know clients and prospects. And on one hand, yes, I see the logic. On the other hand, you are at such a profound structural disadvantage if you do not have access to data which the buyer has access to. You need to know, you know, what are people charging? How do they think about these things? And more important than that, we need to have a mindset that you are not competing against anyone else. You are, you're playing your own game and you can lift each other up. And so when you have a community of people that are not just friends and supporters, that's important too, but people who A, care about you and B, know what they're talking about when it comes to your business in your field, they can give you the proper guidance to contextualize things. You know, when, when we're down, our judgment is not that great. And if, but if you have someone that you really respect and trust, and that person can say to you, Dan, it's not that your writing is bad. That is not why you were turned down. Your writing is good. Keep going. Keep doing this. This person has their own agenda or this person's looking for something different. That doesn't mean you stop. You keep going. 
then it gives you the strength to listen to that person, even when your heart might be telling you, oh man, I better, I better quit now. <laughs> That's amazing. <clears throat> Excuse me, amazing strategy. The real world for me quickly is when I was writing my second book, um, you know, you, you pass off, I would imagine your manuscript to people. It's good authors should right before it goes out. I passed mine off uh, to Roger L. Martin, a uh, compatriot of yours on the Thinkers 50. Roger, you know, overnight reads it, comes back to me and says, this is crap. <laughs> come, come meet me in San Francisco and, and we'll figure it out, you know? And so I had to, you know, call the publisher and say, uh, actually we got to hold the press, you know, stop the press on this one, but oh, I respect wow. it. Yeah. I was dramatic. It could have been a colossal failure had I published it, but Roger found what one of the missing pieces to my whole theorem. Anyway, long story short is I agree. If I hadn't tapped into the network, I could have made a bigger mistake than perhaps uh, was uh, intended. Okay, wow. Last. Well, I love that story, Dan. That's that's so on point. Oh, totally. That's why I resonated when I got to those those two chapters. Like, wait a second. This is kind of interesting for, for me personally. Okay. Last question. We'll let you go. Uh, it, it says more about perhaps my psyche than it does anything, but I read books from the last chapter first and then go to the first. So I read the coda first uh, in yours. And it's just a habit. Wow. I've had you do that with I've... mystery novels too? <laughs> not, not, oh yeah. Seriously. Nonfiction, you know, business management books. And it was uh, the professor all along <laughs> with not... the gun in the study. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The candlestick holder. Right. Okay. So your coda was really helpful because it set a stage really for the three key pieces of uh, independence, curiosity, and resilience. And so the question for you is, um, you, you end the book with the coda for those three. What's the significance? Is there an interplay? Is that you know for the reader to say, oh, if I narrow it down to independence, curiosity, and resilience, I'm going to be well on my way, or, or just like, share with us, you know, perhaps some insight as to why you ended the book with those uh, wonderful three actions. Yeah, well, thank you. So to your point, um, I closed the long game with a, a coda talking about some of the essential qualities that are necessary for being able to play the long game. And uh, as you mentioned, it's independence, curiosity, and resilience. And ultimately, what I was looking at is where are the places that people drop off? You know, what, what are the factors that cause people to give up too soon? This is, the, this is the, the whole reason I wrote the long game was I wanted to try to write something that would enable good, smart people to persist longer at achieving what they want to achieve. I, it pains me when talented folks give up too soon on something that could be a viable idea or a concept that could really make a meaningful impact. And I understand why they might, because it can be discouraging and it can be frustrating and things do often take longer than we want them to. But I wanted to essentially find a way to forearm people so that they would be ready and prepared and, and to get through that. And so when I thought about the traits that would enable someone to proceed on this journey, this parlous journey, <laughs> I, uh, I, I thought, you know, th these are the unifying traits, right? Because ultimately, if you are playing the long game, first of all, independence is crucial because you fail in the end. Even if you purportedly win, you fail in the end if you were playing someone else's game. You need to play your game 
so that you are achieving the goals that are meaningful to you, not what society told you you should be doing, not something that you you feel like you're keeping up with the Joneses, but a goal that when you achieve it, you are genuinely going to feel happy and fulfilled because it was the right one for you. And that's that's where independence comes in. Curiosity, of course, is crucial because we need that experimental flair. Sometimes you will discover on the journey a better way to do something. Sometimes you'll discover a better goal. Hey, why not? You know, we don't need to be beholden to something, even a goal that we set ourselves, if something better comes along. The goal is not necessarily to achieve this precise thing that we said we were going to achieve. The goal is to have a good life. And so curiosity enables us to take a pulse and follow uh, our interests so that we can create something meaningful. And then resilience, of course, I think comes into play because just so many times, if, if a goal is meaningful enough and long-term enough, almost inevitably somewhere between here and there, you know, I mean, any goal that is more than like five minutes, right? It's like, oh, there's some steps in between here and there. So if you think about something where it's a 10-year goal, there are going to be things that play out differently than you imagined. And there are probably going to be unexpected uh, gatekeepers. I mean, I'll give you one example. Right now, I'm trying to pursue Italian citizenship, which I qualify for. But one of the hassles, I've literally been working on this, Dan, for 10 years. This has been a 10-year goal. So I was so close, so close to having all the paperwork set. There was one piece that I needed to have corrected because old timey people were not so much with the record keeping. They just like kind of wrote stuff down, you know, like, I don't care. And then they wrote it down and it was not right. And so I had the correct documents and I thought by providing the correct documents, I could get the incorrect documents corrected. No, apparently not. Uh, I thought I was at the finish line. Literally the Commonwealth of Massachusetts is forcing me to file a lawsuit, a lawsuit to get my great grandfather's marriage certificate from 1910 amended. So that is what I am having to do. Uh, This costs much more money and is taking much more time than I imagined. But, you know, I'm plowing forward. I'm going to get it done. Uh, But life is like that. And our professional arc is like that, too. Uh, So we, uh, yeah, we just need to be resilient. Wow. I mean, first of all, I don't know how you chisel stone away to amend that particular document, but uh, congratulations on that. And uh, you'll persevere because you're full of that resilience. Uh, Dory, you're obviously a friend first, but a huge congratulations on on the long game. Uh, I found your both humility and vulnerability going through, uh, you know, the tactics of that kind of long-term thinking in a short-term world uh, mantra uh, I thought it was exquisite. Uh, and so big, big hat tip to you. And, uh, you know, what? let's, uh, let's, let's hope that it stays on WSJ for the next three years. So others can learn from that as well. Dory, congrats. Thanks again. Thank you, my man. Good to see you, Dan.